Praise the Lord, everybody. Why don't we stand and clap our hands to the Lord and bless Him today. He's worthy. Do you believe that this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. And we're glad you're here in person. Glad you're joining us online. If you have your Bibles, please join me in the book of Psalms. We're going to go to the 124th Psalm. Amen. I have something to share from the word of the Lord with you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Psalm 124 is a song of degrees of David. It reads, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now Israel may say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, when they had swaddled us up quick, when their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to treach for just a few minutes here on this subject, God's escape plan. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, let the living word today preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer and open our understanding that we might comprehend Scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we ask and pray and believe all of these in the marvelous and majestic and magnificent name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe it, would you shout amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. God's escape plan. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 17 through 25 record, records the history of what we just read in Psalm 124. The Philistines have routed and killed King Saul and his son Jonathan and are determined to destroy David as well as all of Israel. These two passages reveal how little confidence David had in himself or in the ability of his army, not in a sense of doubting his men or his own ability, but realizing that God was the only one able to secure victory for them. The Philistines have come with a surprise attack. It's not a mere raiding party just to seize a few more acres of land. Instead, this was meant to completely destroy Israel once and for all. They were coming bent on the intent to, to completely wipe out Israel. Now David, we know, was a skilled warrior. And his confidence, though, to survive this attack was not in his skill, but rather in God alone. In fact, the battle was so intense, the Philistines attacked twice, attempting to completely destroy Israel. These two attacks may be what David was referring to by using a flood metaphor in verses 3 through 5 and a ravenous beast in verse 6 
to symbolize the severity of the attacks. And if God had not been on Israel's side, the Philistines would have utterly destroyed them and we would be reading a different story today. So David calls upon Israel to join him in blessing the Lord who set them free from the trap that the Philistines had set for them. Psalm 124 gives praise to God and encourages others throughout history. It was Nehemiah's own words. Our God shall fight for us in Nehemiah 4 verse 20, which aligns with the principle from Psalm 124. This indicates a complete dependence upon God for victory over one's enemies. It doesn't take away from the fact that there's still a work to be done, that there's still a battle to be fought and a sword to be wielded. It just means that without God, there is no hope of victory. Psalm 124 encourages us today that God is our strength and without His protection and victory, our enemies would triumph over us. This is what Paul meant in Romans 8.31 in part when he said, If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God is on your side today? Aren't you glad you're on God's side today? Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to look at the attack. David says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now Israel may say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. David opens this psalm immediately giving God all the credit for the victory. He does not open with anything his soldiers have done or he has done. They did fight. They did wield their swords. They did shoot their arrows. They did throw their spears. They did sweat in the battle. But David realizes it was God's intervention, not his army's ability, that won the battle. That would be like today, me taking credit if somebody gets the Holy Ghost. As if I could pour out my spirit upon them. Right? How ludicrous would that be? Well, David in the same sense realizes I might have to do some things, but God gets all the credit. Can I tell you, you never go wrong giving God all the credit. You never get wrong giving God all the glory. (laughs) Hallelujah. The final phrase of verse 2 when men rose up against us, reveals how sudden the Philistines' attack was. In fact, as you go back to 2 Samuel and you read, you'll discover this surprise attack was an ambush attempting to catch them off guard and again overwhelm them. But let me say it this way. The Philistine army may have had momentum on their side with the recent death of Saul and Jonathan, but David had God on his side. And when God is on your side, well, you have all you need. And can somebody shout glory? Mm -hmm. How many of you remember that many years before he was king, David faced off with a bear and faced off with a lion, clearly outnumbered, clearly outstrengthed, clearly the, the odds would have been in the favor of the bear or the lion. But how many of you know God is the best odds maker? Mm-mm. Hallelujah. 
By the way, did you know that in, in God's economy, the odds are stacked in your favor? Amen. God plus you is the majority. The hatred of the Philistines that they had for Israel may have stemmed from the fact that uh, David, their new king, killed their Goliath, their giant, years ago. It could have been that. It may have been a, a deep, deeper-rooted hatred that stemmed all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac, which began in Genesis, which began a feud that still exists today in the Middle East. Whatever caused the hatred, this one thing is certain. David did not rely on his ability to succeed. He wholeheartedly trusted God. And he gave God all the glory and the praise for the victory. You know, Satan is no different in his attack today in God's church. No different. He comes as a roaring lion, lurking in the shadows, awaiting the perfect opportunity to pounce on somebody, taking them by surprise and ambushing them. He desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. But how many of you know God's on your side? Well, glory. In this world, the Bible says you will have tribulation. But in the same verse, John 16, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In me, you'll have peace. Of course, I'm going to have trouble and trial and tribulation in this world. But in Jesus, I've got peace. How about I get out of the world and get into Jesus? Well, that might preach right there, huh? What are you into? Are you into the world? Are you into Jesus? In the world, you got tribulation. In Jesus, you got peace. But notice this. He didn't say you've got victory. There's a difference. What he was saying was, I've already overcome the world. Mm. That wasn't just for that moment. It wasn't just for that time. It was to remind them, hey, I'm going to die on a cross, but I've overcome the world. I'm going to rise again. It was for that moment, but it's also for this moment. The things of this world are not going to overwhelm us and not going to overcome us because God has already overcome the world. I've read the back of the book. We win. Hallelujah. You ever pick up a book off a bookshelf and you're like, man, this looks like a good book, and you kind of skirt to the end to see how it ends real quick, you know? Anybody ever, am, I, am I the only one that does that? Okay, we got a couple over here, all right. Yeah, you know, read to the end and see how it ends, you know? Well, I, I've already read the back. We win. The devil loses. Hallelujah. This is why the Bible tells us to be sober, to be wise, to be vigilant against his, his attacks, his devices, his attempts. Because we know he's going to try. We know he's going to do this. So we need to be wise against his devices. We need to be sober and vigilant, uh, uh, vigilant looking out for this because we know it's going to happen. I said this a few weeks ago. Put on the armor of God, but don't ever take it off. Keep it on when you go to bed. Get up and, and when you're having your coffee, have it on. Never take it off. I don't have time to really explore uh, that thought a whole lot, but let me just say this. I really see the armor of God really is about God. I mean, let's think about it. The breastplate of righteousness. How many of you know our righteousness is as filthy rags? So it's, it's God covering us, right? The helmet of salvation. I can't save myself. Can you? No. So we need God's salvation. The, the belt of truth. Yeah. 
my truth, it ain't always right, you know? My opinion, right? But his truth, he is truth, right? My feet shod with peace, right? It's God that we're covered with. I realize Paul used the different types of what the soldier might wear as armor, but what he really is saying is you're clothed by God. In other words, don't ever take him off. In Colossians, he said, put off the world and put on Christ. I never see where he says, put off Christ. I'll go home after lunch today, and I'll take this suit coat off, and I'll hang it up. I'll take it off, but I don't take Christ off. When I put my blue jeans on and my casual shirt on, I'm putting Christ on. When I get my jammies on, amen, to go to bed, I'm putting Christ on. When I'm on vacation, I'm putting Christ on. I ain't taking him off. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Don't take the armor off. We're in a spiritual warfare. Keep it on. But let me say something about this while I'm on the subject. You notice not a bit of that armor protects your back. That's because in Isaiah, the Bible says the glory of God is your, King James says, re-reward. It means rear guard. God's got your back. Which means, oh, the church never retreats. Uh, so, so when he says upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it a lot of people have the mindset that we're inside the city and the enemy is attacking our gates and they won't prevail to get in that's not what it means it means we're on the offensive we're going and attacking the gates of hell we're ripping them off the hinges and we're grabbing people out of the pit of hell and bringing them to truth and the gates of hell won't prevail against us on the offensive oh i know in football the best offense is a good defense but but in god's economy there is no defense because he is our defense hallelujah Oh, glory, i got to move on. If you'll trust God wholeheartedly in His strength alone and give Him all the glory for the victory, you'll be able to see the salvation of the Lord. You know what's interesting? Uh, I didn't give you this back there, guys, but uh, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Exodus 14 here real quick. They might be able to find it. Exodus 14, 13, and 14. If they can get it up, fine. If not, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, but... I told you this is treaching, right? Okay. All right. 14, Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. Watch this. And Moses said to the people, fear ye not. Anybody, anybody afraid? No. Well, but, but there's things in the world we know that can, can cause fear, right? Right. right? We know that, that there are times, the economy, whoa, what's going to happen? You know, there could be causes for fear, but, but fear not, right? Instead, do this. Stand still. Oh, that's why when the armor, he says, and having done all to stand, stand there for. See, we're trying to figure it out on our own, aren't we? David didn't try to figure it out on his own. He's a skilled warrior. He knows he will have to pull that sword out of its sheath and, and wield it and swing it. But he knows I'm first going to God to get the battle strategy. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show thee this day. For the Egyptians whom you serve, excuse me, for the Egyptians whom you've seen, you shall see them no more again forever. Verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you, 
Wow. You seeing that? The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Wow. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with what the book says. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. I ain't going to try to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to let God figure it out and give him the glory for it. I think that's a good battle plan. Hallelujah. Let's talk about the next three verses in Psalm 124. And, and we see here a flood and a ravenous beast. Uh, three, they then they had swallowed us quick. Up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. Uh, the stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. So 3, 4, and 5 is this uh, metaphor, this symbolism of a flood. And verse 6 uh, of this, this ravenous, malicious kind of beast, right? Um, now, we know Israel experiences all kinds of sorts of weather. They get snow, they get rain, they, they, they have flooding, uh, you know, potential flooding. We know that the Jordan flooded at times, so we understand this. But David here is not speaking of a literal thing. He's using that as a metaphor to, to uh, reference that like a flood would overwhelm uh, uh, the countryside, they would have been overwhelmed like that. Uh, like a ravenous beast that can overpower its prey, they would have been overpowered. And again, it's not that he's saying, you know, we were the underdogs in this battle, okay? What he was saying was, without God, we have no way of winning. Even, even if we're matched man to man, even, even if it's a 50-50 draw and either one of us could win the fight, that he's not comparing, uh, you know, the stats, if you will, of the Philistine army against the Israelite army. What he's saying is, even with all of our strength, even with all of our skill, even with all that we have, if God had not been on our side, we would have lost. Here's what it's saying. You could have everything on your side. Money, power, influence, strength, and still lose if God is not on your side. That's what David was saying here. Does that make sense? We know ancient armies would use wild beasts as a part of their battle plan, and we know that they would use them at times to attack. But David here is not talking about some malicious beast or ravenous type of beast. He's talking about the fact that like that, they would have been attacked and overtaken. And these expressions then indicate the severity of what the defeat would have been if God had not been on their side. See, David is using an if-then kind of style of poetic writing. If this hadn't happened, then this would have happened. So the reverse is true. Since God was on their side, then they didn't have defeat. Does that make sense? So he's using this if-then kind of thing. Here's the problem. We use the if-then this way. If God will give me a raise, then I'll pay my tithe. Don't work that way. If God will do this, then I'll do... No, it don't work that way with God. Mm -mm. Okay? It's not that, you know, well, if God will win this battle for me, then I'll live for Him. No, 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 no. It's you serving Him. Because even though I know it says the Lord on our side, what really David is saying here is we were on God's side. You see, here, here's what happens in, in, this, in this poetic setting of David writing this psalm. 
We have to, to understand it. We have to go to the story, to the account of Joshua. Okay? We know Moses had an encounter with the Lord. Burning bush, right? By the way, let me just interject something. God is going to use things that are already common to you to speak to you. Uh, burning bushes happen all the time on the desert. And as fast as the, the, the combustion happens, they, they, they go out. So it was not an uncommon thing to see on the desert, in the wilderness. But what caught his eye was this one didn't whoof and go right back out. It's like, that thing's still burning. And read your Bible. It says when he turned to see, that's when God spoke to him. You see, we're waiting for some big angelic choir to come down out of heaven in three-part harmony. Hallelujah! God ain't going to do that. He's going to use something common. You're on your way to the store to get milk and bread, and he might say, go to Hy-Vee instead of Baker's. Oh, okay. Right? You start walking down the aisle, okay, see, there's a bread aisle over here. Oh, there's a backslider. Oh, there's a neighbor. I don't believe those are coincidences. Come on now. So God used a bush. So Joshua was a warrior, a soldier. He was the captain of the Lord's host, right? Now Moses is dead. He's now in charge. God's not going to use a burning bush for him. Besides, they don't burn in Jordan like that near the Jordan River. So what does God use? A theophany of a soldier. Read it. It's in Joshua. He's up one morning praying. There's something about getting up every day to pray, too. Oh, I got too much to preach. Can we just, we set the clocks back an hour. Can I set the clocks back another hour and keep preaching? Amen. So, so yeah, amen. Thank you. All right. So watch, stand up, Pastor. Uh, so, so. Pastor Trevor is, is Joshua, and, and he's praying, and, and he would have his sword on and all. And all of a sudden, he sees the angel of the Lord, and the Bible says his sword was drawn. Now, Joshua's a man of war. Okay, draw your sword like you're the angel. You know? And Joshua says, uh, <clears throat> draws his out too. Are you for me or against me here, man? Because if you're against me, you know, you know, bring it on, right? Read it. The angel answers him and says, Neither. In other words, wrong question, Joshua. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord, and I have now come. Joshua realizes, oh, this is my burning bush moment. He sheathes that sword, and what does my Lord say to his servant? Take off your shoes, kind of like Moses, right? You're on holy ground, Right? In other words, so I, I used all that to get back to Psalm 124. David is not saying that God was their little, you know, magic genie, you know, that they rubbed it and, oh, he came out and fought for them and won. That's how the pagan armies fought. They would sacrifice to all their gods, and if they won, they would think that somehow their, their, their pagan gods, their idol gods had done it for them. That's not what David was saying. He wasn't comparing God to an earthly pagan idol God. What he was saying was, really, what it boiled down to was I was on God's side. Hmm. Let me sum it up this way. How many of you want to be an overcomer? 
I'm going I'm to make, make it as plain as you ever heard in your life. You want to you be an overcomer? Anybody online want to be an overcomer? You know, put the thumb up or hand up emoji, whatever. Ready? Here it is. Ready? Here it is. It's profound. Get ready. Somebody's going to run the aisles on this probably. Ready? You come over to the winning side. That's, that's what it is. It's making sure you're on the right side. It's, it's getting out of your own pride and out of your own self. and say, I'm going to get on God's side. God's undefeated. I'm going to get on his team. God is the, the ultimate. I'm going to get on his team. <laughs> Hallelujah. Interestingly, something happens here in Psalms. What the Philistines wanted to do, overwhelm Israel, utterly destroy, take them by surprise, was really what happened to them. God routed them. This is why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He's the only one qualified to take vengeance against your enemies. Hallelujah. Can I tell you? You may feel like your enemy wants to drown you, attack you like a ravenous beast. But you may be under spiritual attack from the hordes of hell, attempting to annihilate you. Amen. Can I tell you, Satan wants to take you to a lake of fire with him. After all, misery loves company. But what the enemy means for evil against you, God means for good. So let's get to the escape. Amen. In verses 7 and 8, David says, Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Speaking about the Lord, in the 91st Psalm, that psalmist said it this way in 91.3, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Praise God. David in Psalm 124 uses this same imagery to, uh, of a bird being freed to illustrate his victory over the Philistines. Praise God. Praise God. He gives God all the glory. He gives God all the praise and specifically says our hope is in the name of the Lord. But this weren't the first time David had hoped in the name of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 17 verse 45 then David said to the Philistine thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the army of Israel there is no possible way a little boy a shepherd boy could defeat a man of war like Goliath amen but notice God had to use David's arm God had to use David's sling. God had to use a stone he picked up. God had to use his faith to run onto the battle but it was God who got the glory and the victory amen for the victory can I tell you God may use your arm God may use your sling God may use a stone you've picked up but it's he and he alone that gets all the glory Furthermore, don't just knock your giant down, 
but when he's down, go over and draw his sword and cut his head off. In other words, don't just knock your problem down, but cut it off. Destroy it utterly. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Verse 47 of the same, 1 Samuel 17, the last part, David says, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You know, you would have thought the Philistines would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. You'd think the devil would learn his, but he don't. So by the way, if and when he reminds you of your past, you did this, that, and that, Open to Revelation, I think it's chapter 20, and just say, oh, by the way, uh, Satan, just want to remind you, you are cast into the lake of fire. <laughs> See ya. Don't want to be ya. Amen. How many of you know that the name of the Lord? Today, we know the highest name revealed is Jesus. It's higher. It's more powerful, greater than any trap the enemy has set for you. While David had a relationship with God, if you're born again, you have God in you. Greater is he that's in you than... Mm -mm. That's why I'm not worried about the world. He's overcome it, and he's in me, and he's greater than what's in the world. Man. I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire with that realization. My God, have mercy. Greater is he that's in you. God's plan of escape. Well, can I tell you that God's plan of escape for the church is not from a foreign enemy who threatens the sovereignty of our nation, but rather from a lying devil who seeks to still kill and destroy your soul. For David, God's plan of escape preserved the lineage that Jesus would come through. God's plan of escape spared his life from the attack of the Philistines. But for you and I, God's plan of escape is from sin. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And you might say, well then, how did God achieve this? How did he give us this plan of escape from corruption through lust? In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, things from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't shed my own blood, but his shed blood, amen, redeemed me and remitted my sins. Hallelujah. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, before I knew him, while I was in sin, amen, before I was even born, and you were born, he already had a plan of salvation, a way of escape. Amen. 
Drop down to verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love to the brethren. See that you love one another in a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof faileth, falleth away, but the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Ever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So how did he do his plan of escape? He became us. He became flesh that we might become his righteousness. God's plan of escape for the church is from the sin and the guilt and the shame that's entered the world through the disobedience of Adam. The church suffers persecution, but God's church perseveres and prevails. Why? Because his kingdom is unshakable, Hebrews 12, 28. His church is unstoppable, Acts 28, 31. I've quoted it a couple of times already. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. And since he's in us through the infilling of his spirit, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's God's plan of escape for the church. It's why when believers are martyred, they realize something their captors do not. That you cannot kill someone who is dead already. <laughs> you see, they died to sin a long time ago. You're just taking this body out of the way, but you can't touch the soul. That that persecutor, that, that person martyring them might be able to take their life from them in the, in, the, in the body, but they cannot take their soul. And besides, Paul said to Christ to die is gain. You see, God's plan of escape was before the foundation of the world. That's why he loved us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8. It's why God became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and Hebrews 7, 26. Therefore, here's what we must do. How many of you want to go to heaven? How many of you want to be with Jesus? How many of you want God to, to, to take you when he comes? Amen, right? Okay. Well, let me give you how to do it. Ready? 2 Peter 1, verse 5. Here it is. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to uh, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Just keep adding, keep increasing, keep doing these things. What's verse 8? For if these things be in you and abound. In other words, you, you don't just add them one time and say, okay, I got them. But you, you just keep them. You just stay full of the Spirit. You ever notice that in the Bible, when they would, they would call people out, in, in the New Testament especially, and they would appoint them, they would always say they were full of the Spirit and faith and wisdom, things like that, right? Amen. Be full of God is what it's saying here. Abound, right? If you'll do that, watch this, they make you that you just shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, G of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to know more about God? Yeah, yeah. How many of you want to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. 
Then add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Do these things. Let them be abounding in you. Don't just do it on Sunday. Don't just do it on Wednesday. Don't just do it at a special Bible study or a revival or here or there. Do it daily. And then verse 9, Peter takes a detour just for a moment to tell us that the one that lacks these things is blind. He cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, the one that, that's lacking in these adding to the faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and so forth, they become farsighted. They, they, they can't see to the, to the greater reality. They, they can't see beyond, and, and, and not only that, they have forgotten where God brought them from. Let me tell you, here's how to know if that happens to you. If you ever look at somebody else and you're thinking, well, why is she dancing, shouting, praising? Why is he getting blessed? Why is it? You might be fulfilling that verse. You might be lacking some things. Because the Bible says rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And so verse 10, he comes back around and he says, wherefore the rather brethren, instead do this. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, what things? Adding to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and making them abounding in you and never lacking and never becoming blind and never forgetting where Jesus brought you from. If you'll do these things, you shall never fall. That's not Myron's word. That's not a bylaw in our, in our manual somewhere. That is the very word of God. If you'll do what he said to do, you'll never fall. Can I believe it since it's there? Since God can't lie, can I lay claim to that? Amen. But not only that, for so an entrance, verse 11 will be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, I don't want to just make it to heaven by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. I don't want to just slide in and and hope that, that, you know, St. Peter don't see me sneaking by. Right? And I know there's no St. Peter at the gate, but you get my point, okay? I want to come in abundantly. I've, I've got a few things in life on technicalities before. I'm, don't Nobody raise your hand. But how many of you would just kind of, you know, silently within your own spirit raise your hand and say you've been pulled over by the police? There's been a few times, Pastor Trevor, that I've been pulled over, and, and a few times I've had one of them officers that's really nice and say, you know what, just going to let you go on a morning here today. Bless him, Jesus. Lord, multiply that man, God. Hallelujah, right? And then there have been other times where, you know, <clears throat> sir, you're doing two miles over. I'm going to give you a ticket. Like, are you serious? No. Must be the end of the month, you know. <laughs> Right? We've all been there. So we, we've all got by on a technicality here or there, right? I don't want to go to heaven that way. I don't want to God, God get up here and say, well, let's see. I see a Myron, but it's not a Myron T, pal. So, well, you know what? We'll, we'll let you in. You can just hang around on that side of heaven over there. Uh-uh. I want to I wanna 
entrance abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. And how do I get it? If you do these things. There's an if. If God hadn't been on their side, which really is they, if they weren't on God's side, they wouldn't have been victory. If we, don't, if we do his word, we'll never fall. We'll make it. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Stand with me. And can you put up Luke 21.36? I'm almost done. I know, I know we're right at time. Put up Luke 21.36. I want you to see this. Jesus says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That word escape in the Greek means to go safely through, to make it through. In other words, pray that you're worthy to go safely through, to make it through. In other words, to get there. God's escape plan is to bring us out of this world, freeing us from the presence of sin forever. Amen. Amen. Can we worship Him and love Him right now? Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. God, we want to make heaven our home. God, we want to make sure that we go. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would add to our faith virtue. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. May the Lord bless you in the name of Jesus. Be back here for the beginning of second half. We've got some great things. Uh, to do as we begin. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.